This is the Green Street News, the environmental health show and podcast. Patty and Doug Wood and our worldwide network of experts with your weekly update on what in the world is happening and how it may impact your life. Welcome back. On today's show, we're going to be talking about pregnancy and wireless radiation and why an increasing number of doctors are advising women to keep their cell phones, laptops, tablets, and any other wireless device away from their developing baby. We'll hear from one of the co-creators of the BabySafe project about how all this came about and some simple steps every woman who is pregnant can take to protect that new life. That and Patty with the week's headlines all coming up on this edition of Green Street News. Stay with us. Okay, Patty, so what happened in the world of environmental health this week? Well, this first one is really important to us because it relates to the new International Declaration on the Human Rights of Children in the Digital Age, Mm -hmm. which is a document that we have been working on in conjunction with some attorneys and some scientists and so on. And this one is entitled Screen Time Linked with Developmental Delays Study Finds. This is from CNN, written by Kristen Rogers. Handing your baby a phone or tablet to play with may seem like a harmless solution when you're busy, but it could quickly affect their development, according to a new study. Having anywhere from one to four hours of screen time per day at age one is linked with higher risks of developmental delays in communication, fine motor, problem solving, and personal and social skills by age two. Wow. According to this new study published in the journal JAMA, which is the Journal of the American Medical Association, the study measured how many hours children used screens per day at age one and how they performed in several developmental domains, communication skills, fine motor skills, personal and social skills, and problem-solving skills at age two and four. By age two, those who had up to four hours of screen time per day were up to three times more likely to experience developmental delays in communication and problem-solving skills. Those who had spent four or more hours with screens were more than four times more likely to have underdeveloped communication skills, slightly more likely to have subpar fine motor skills, and two times more likely to have underdeveloped personal and social skills by age two. This is amazing, actually. This study is really quite alarming. It's really, really important to understand that using technology to entertain, let's call it that, entertain your children or keep them busy while you're busy doing something else is not without risks. Yeah, has real consequences for the child. For the child, not for you. Absolutely, absolutely. So Dr. John Hutton, Associate Professor of General and Community Pediatrics at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center, who was not involved in the study, said, quote, one of the areas that's relatively understudied in the whole screen time literature is looking at impacts of screen exposure on very young kids, especially when screens are introduced to babies. It's definitely a global concern. Kids learn how to talk if they're encouraged to talk. And very often, if they're just watching a screen, they're not having an opportunity to practice talking. They may hear a lot of words, but they're not practicing saying a lot of words or having a lot of that back and forth interaction, end quote. In the latest research, mothers of children with high levels of screen time were more likely to be younger, have never given birth before, have a lower household income, have a lower education level, and have postpartum depression. 
The study did have limitations due to social desirability bias, wanting to say the right or socially acceptable thing. Parents may underreport their child's screen time and overreport how their mm. child is doing developmentally. Experts yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. So the problem could actually be a lot worse than we're than we're seeing. Yeah. Gee, I think whiz. it sounds bad enough. It does sound bad <laughs> enough. And let me just remind our listeners, where Patty was talking about the International Declaration for the Human Rights of Children in the Digital Age, which is on the web, and you can go see it. It's www.thechildrensdeclaration.org. I encourage everybody to go read it and support it. Okay, okay. what else you got? So this is another issue that we're very involved in, and that's artificial turf. And... You know, Governor Newsom in California actually just signed a law allowing local governments to ban artificial turf, and this was reported by NBC in San Diego. In the past several years, homeowners in California have opted to exchange natural grass for synthetic turf, which has been seen as a year-round drought-resistant green grass option, of which many neighbors would be envious. However, Governor Gavin Newsom recently signed legislation that permits local governments, including cities and counties, to ban synthetic grass in neighborhoods due to potential health concerns. According to Diane Walkie, part of the Safe Healthy Playing Fields, a nonprofit organization, there is no shortage of microplastics that come with these products. Over time, the fields degrade and leach out PFAS and other chemicals. Wilkie has spent years collecting information related to the health concerns that come from synthetic turf. Not only are there toxic chemicals in the fake grass, but in summer months, temperatures can rise to unsafe levels, and the plastic blades can be prime breeding areas for bacteria, especially on large-scale sports fields. So originally this was an idea to save water, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to use artificial turf so we don't have to water our lawns. And, uh, and at one point, I think it was illegal in California to ban artificial turf because there, was, there were some communities that wanted to ban it. And I think Jerry Brown put in a law that said you can't ban artificial turf. So now this new law undoes that so they can right. undo it. But we're not, right. there was, I, you know, I, I did look up a little bit on this law. It's not clear whether or not this extends to, uh, you know, school playing fields or municipal soccer fields or those kinds of things where you've I got... I think it's just homeowners' lawns. It's not athletic fields, which yeah. is, of course, where we want it to be banned. That's where the giant use right. is and, That's the, right. and the environmental you know, impact right. is so great. That's right. Okay, good. Okay, what and else? then this last one, you know, we had talked about PFAS last week in certain diaper brands, and this week oh, yeah. the risk is about plastic food pouches that you see babies sucking on all over the place. Yeah. This is from Healthline, and it is written by Andrea Rice, and the title is Baby Food Pouches Recalled Over Illnesses Linked to Lead Contamination. Now, I just have to say right up front that this is not about the plastic. This is actually about the contents of the food, but we should be saying something about the plastic sure. as well. Yeah. Because, you know, I see these babies in grocery stores and mothers, you know, buy them right there and then open them up and let the kids just sit there and suck on these plastic pouches while their grocery shopping keeps them busy and happy. Anyway, the U.S. Jeez. Food and Drug Administration is investigating three companies manufacturing apple cinnamon baby food pouches after several reports of lead poisoning affecting young children in at least five states. The products at the center of the voluntary product recall include Wanabana apple cinnamon fruit puree pouches, Schnucks cinnamon-flavored applesauce pouches, and Weiss brand cinnamon applesauce pouches. In North Carolina, where the FDA's investigation began, four cases of acute lead toxicity were reported in children. 
State health officials urged caution to not buy or feed Wanabana apple cinnamon fruit puree pouches to toddlers and young children due to potentially elevated levels of lead. The FDA advises consumers to not eat, sell, or serve the recalled product since all lot codes and expiration dates are included in the recalls. They must be, this must be a, a large amount of, of lead if we're talking about severe lead toxicity. Well, what's interesting is where it comes from. Okay, yeah. where does it come from? So lead poisoning can affect anyone regardless of age and health status. Contaminants like lead can get into foods during the manufacturing process. Some spices, such as cinnamon, have been found to harbor heavy metals hmm. like lead. Lead exposure is usually minimal and toxicity builds up over time. This means most children exposed to lead may not experience symptoms at the immediate onset. Acute symptoms can include decreased appetite, fatigue, poor sleep, headaches, loss of concentration or focus, abdominal pain or cramping, diarrhea, vomiting, constipation, or weight loss. But severe cases of lead poisoning and toxicity in children may lead to neurological problems, including learning difficulties and developmental delays. And of course, there's a lot written also about IQ and, yeah. and lead exposure. So this was, the lead is the problem in Flint, Michigan, right? Where we've got the water pipes that yeah, are filled with lead. Yeah, exactly. First of all, it's not just Flint, Michigan. We've got lead water pipes all over this country. Sure. Okay, in cities, in rural areas, in suburban neighborhoods, it's what we did. You know, the main water line would go down the street and then there'd be a lead pipe to every home. And some of them have been replaced and some of them have not. I believe that there is a major federal initiative right now to replace those lead pipes. And they're replacing them in some cases with plastic. With PVC. And I, that is another huge problem. <laughs> and that is, you know, are we replacing a neurological problem with the lead, with a cancer problem with the PVC, the vinyl chloride, which is a known carcinogen? This is whack-a-mole, isn't it? it yes, really, it is. Life has become whack-a-mole. On, on almost every issue. Uh, almost it? every issue. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, you got baby food, you got lead in the water pipes. I mean, it's just, where do you... And where is the government in all this? And this is all... It, all of these things are happening in the name of progress, though. So many things. You know, kids didn't suck their food out of plastic little pouches that, you know, what's going on there? It's easy, Patty. It's easy. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that that's not really part of the story that we just talked about. Right. The story is about the potential contamination of cinnamon in yeah. the in these particular baby food products. But kids eating out of plastic and drinking out of plastic is really harmful. And yet, that's just what we do. Yeah. It's, it's just what we do. It's convenient. It's shatterproof. It's cheap. It's super cheap. You know, for manufacturers, it's a great thing. Yep. For everybody else, not so good. All right. Thanks, Patty. You're welcome. The beautiful and awe-inspiring process by which a few cells develop into a new life is truly miraculous. As if following some invisible instructions, the intricate and complex steps for the creation of a new life unfold, forming delicate organs and vital systems and making billions of important connections and patterns in the brain alone. Your body is the first home for this new life, and pregnancy triggers some instructions for you as well. Your body provides a protected and warm space for your baby to grow, sharing important nutrients and preparing you to nourish your baby beginning immediately after birth. 
Protecting your baby from any possible harm is a strong and natural instinct, and every stage of your baby's development will be affected by the choices you make and the environments in which you live. And those choices you make are at the same time becoming more difficult and more important. Today, scientists and medical professionals around the world are working to understand more about how a developing human life is affected by environmental exposures, including the food we eat, the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the chemicals and wireless radiation, which are becoming almost unavoidable in the products we use and in the surroundings in which we live and work. Identifying and avoiding all of them can seem overwhelming, but knowing the risks and the steps you can take to reduce your exposures is something you can do. While there are many things yet to be discovered about the important relationship between your developing baby and your own environmental exposures, we do know that the body can provide only a certain degree of protection. Another thing we know is that the impact of wireless radiation or radio frequency radiation on your baby varies greatly and is associated with the proximity, the amount, and the frequency of exposure. That's Patty Wood, Executive Director of Grassroots Environmental Education, visiting scholar at Adelphi University and author of the book Helping to Heal, reading from the pamphlet What You Need to Know About Wireless Radiation and Your Baby which is available for free from the project website, babysafeproject.org. Patty and Grassroots had been active for years on issues that impact children, including playing a key role in helping to pass legislation prohibiting the use of pesticides on all school grounds in New York State. But as wireless communications began to grow in popularity, her concern about possible health impacts grew along with it. We never really thought about it too much, you know, we saw these big antennas, these cell phone antennas along the highways and on water towers and so on. And we knew that a few people had cell phones and that's how they were able to communicate wirelessly, right? But it became a concern of mine when the use of cell phones became so commonplace. And not just in the hands of adults, but in the hands of children. I learned at a lecture in Connecticut uh, where we were listening to Hugh Taylor, who's the head of OBGYN and Reproductive Sciences at Yale Medical School, talking about his recent research that he and his colleagues had performed uh, using just cell phone radiation and laboratory animals and found that the offspring of the exposed mothers were experiencing very odd neurological symptoms. So the audience at this lecture was a lot of people who were already interested in this issue. People came from, from far away, you know, places like Washington and Philadelphia and New York City. But they were pretty astounded, as I was, when Dr. Taylor showed the results of this, because they were not initially looking for this. They were actually looking for tumor growth. In the audience that afternoon was one of the world's leading epidemiologists, Dr. Deborah Davis, author of several best-selling books on environmental toxins and the founder and president of the Environmental Health Trust. So Dr. Davis was at this event, and she's kind of a giant in the field. And we got to talk to her, you know, after the program and saw her the next day as well and came up with this idea of trying to 
educate pregnant women to do very simple things, which is not to put your cell phone in your pocket over your developing baby, right? Don't put it in your front pocket or anywhere near your baby. Don't put it in your back pocket either. And don't put it in a, in a bag which you're going to carry close to your body. Just be aware that that phone, even though you can't see it or feel it or hear it, is producing this microwave radiation or radio frequency radiation, which is actually interfering with the normal development of that baby's brain. The collaboration between Dr. Davis and Grassroots resulted in the creation of a short documentary film called The Science of Exposure, which featured Dr. Davis along with several other noted experts in the field. Pregnancy is a time of great excitement when women take a great deal of care about what they eat and what they do. It's a wonderful period of time that's over faster than you can imagine. The exposures can take place from all sorts of things, and we can't put pregnant women in bubbles. We don't want to but we want to make sure that they make healthy babies when and if they choose to do so. Now, having worked at the National Academy of Sciences for 10 years and worked with some of the top scientists in the world, I thought there could be no problem with cell phones because if there were, I would know about it and so would all my colleagues. Well, what I found out was that I was completely wrong. We worked on passive smoke. We worked on asbestos. And in each one of these things, what we saw was an epidemic in slow motion. We knew that tobacco caused cancer in the 1930s. We have known the dangers of asbestos also for more than 100 years. And yet the arguments went on and on and on. Show me the proof. And the answer is, you show me the money. Pregnancy is arguably the most critical time in a child's development, a time when everything has to happen at exactly the right time, in the right sequence, and any kind of interference from the outside world can change the course of that new life. This is especially true as the neurons in the brain are trying to connect. Dr. Leo Trasande of NYU's Wagner School of Medicine explains in this clip from the video, The Science of Exposure. When a baby's born, there are 100 billion neurons or nerve cells in the body. Many of them are competing for connections. All of those cells are bridging connections, even in the first few months of pregnancy. And disruption of those earliest signals can have serious complications for later life. Nerve cell connections that shouldn't be there may stay. Nerve cell signals may be disrupted. The wrong signal may get sent to the wrong neuron. And as a result, there may be permanent changes in how the wiring of our brain is left. How those nerve cell connections finalize is critical for many aspects of our function as human beings on this earth. So can the tiny signals from a cell phone actually disrupt the tiny signals of a developing brain? Here's Patty Wood. People think that when they're not talking on it that it's a kind of a benign thing that they just have in their pocket or in their pocketbook or whatever. But it's actually communicating constantly with the nearest antenna, right? Saying, here I am, you know, kind of shaking hands with the, with the nearest antenna. And so whenever it does that, it's actually transmitting a signal. And that's really where most of the radiation exposure occurs. It occurs during the transmission, not when you're receiving a message. It's when you're transmitting, or it's when you're talking, it's when your phone is talking to that antenna. So 
it's not benign when you're not talking on it. If it's on and you haven't actually gone to the trouble of turning the phone completely off, then you've got something that's potentially dangerous in your hand or in your pocket or in your pocketbook. Dr. Hugh Taylor's experiment changed the way scientists think about wireless radiation. While his study didn't prove that a cell phone in the pocket of a pregnant woman would result in abnormal brain development of her child, it did prove that the strong possibility exists. Here's Dr. Hugh Taylor, again a clip from the movie The Science of Exposure. The fetus is perhaps the most vulnerable to these types of insults. When the brain is just forming, we are perhaps at our most vulnerable stage. So this is a study that really looked at only the effect of prenatal exposure to cell phone radiation. What effect uh, does having a cell phone near your baby when you're pregnant have on that baby later on in life when that baby's grown up? We tested these mice when they reached adulthood and uh, looked at the lasting effect of that early prenatal cell phone exposure. The mice who were exposed to cell phones were more hyperactive. They were running around the cage a lot more aggressively. They had poorer memory. Um, they couldn't remember objects in the cage uh, as well as their counterparts who weren't exposed to the cell phone radiation. Uh, but they did not have any increased anxiety. Sometimes running around can be a sign of anxiety. It was not that. They were calm and relaxed. So they were running around these cages, bouncing off the walls, not a care in the world. Something that in our eyes resembles attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in children. Um, that was the closest model we can think of to the behavioral effects that we saw in the mice. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. According to the National Institutes of Health, over the past couple of decades we've seen a continuous increase in ADHD diagnoses, but the causes remain a mystery. One thing we do know, the developing brain of a baby has no way of protecting itself against whatever is in a mother's environment, including the radiation from her cell phone. Here again, Dr. Leo Trisande, Dr. Hugh Taylor, and Dr. Deborah Davis. Children are often the recipient of environmental insults and suffer the consequences, yet they can't weigh in in the same way as the organizations, the industries that produce these environmental insults. And so that's why it's terribly important for researchers, scientists, and the public at large to advocate for being proactive and preventing hazardous exposures before they occur. You know, it may be that humans and mice are different and the effect might be somewhat different in humans than mice, uh, but at this point I wouldn't take any chances. There's essentially no downside to being cautious and protecting your baby. Most pregnant women understand they should stay away from cigarette smoke, they should not drink alcohol, they should not drink coffee, they need to be careful about what they eat. They know that. But they aren't aware of the need to minimize their exposure to wireless radiation. We cannot afford to treat this generation as experiments in a subject with no controls. So, you might ask, what are some of the things a pregnant woman should do to make sure her baby is as safe as possible? Here's Patty Wood again. Okay, first of all, you need to minimize your use of cell phones. Don't keep it next to your bed, for sure. If you're charging your cell phone, charge it in another room. Charge it overnight. Don't hold it directly against your head. Use a speaker setting or an air tube headset. 
avoid carrying it in your bra or in a sports top, which you see many women doing. It's just a convenient place to just, you know, park that phone while you're exercising. Um, put your phone on airplane mode. I mean, I prefer turning it off, but when you put it on airplane mode, it's better than having it active, right? Avoid using it when you're in a car or a train or a plane or an elevator. Anything with four metal walls and a ceiling and a floor, right? Like your car or a train or an elevator or an airplane is like you're sitting inside a Faraday cage. And so that radiation that's coming off that cell phone is just bouncing off those walls and you're getting whole body exposure. And if for a pregnant woman, that's her whole body and the baby's body, right? Whole body exposure. Also, you should be careful that you have enough signals on your phone when you're actually using it. Because if you have weak signals, it means that you don't have a close by antenna, right? And so the phone is working harder. And when a phone is working harder, it's using more power and putting out more radiation. Avoid using a cordless phone. It's the same thing as a cell phone, except that you even have the base there too, which you charge your phone on. It's like having a mini antenna in your home. So get rid of all your, all of your, your cordless phones. When you stream videos or play games online, download them and then view or play with your device in airplane mode, which I mentioned before. The best thing to do is to connect to the internet with an ethernet cord. This is also called hardwiring. It's not hard to do. We do it. Lots of people do it. It's like the best thing ever. Um, you know, turn off the Wi-Fi router at night. You don't need it at night when you're sleeping. Why is it on? Just sitting there, just, you know, producing radiation. And then if you work and, you know, you are sitting in front of a computer all day, just make sure that you're not, you know, that, I mean, you can get, if you're pregnant, you can get a blanket to put over your, over your belly, which has silver threads in it that reflects that radiation away from the baby. And that's what you want to do. Um, and then the other thing that you should be careful of is if there's a wireless utility meter or a smart meter on a nearby exterior wall, especially on a wall that's where your bed is, right? That you should move your bed and avoid spending time in that location. So these are things that you should do, but these are just like general, general ideas about protecting yourself and your family. But if you're pregnant, you need to be much more careful. I mean. It's pretty simple. I mean, as Dr. Taylor said, this is not hard. We avoid smoking, we avoid drinking, we avoid eating tuna fish sandwiches because they have such high mercury levels. And we avoid, you know, harsh chemicals and paints and stains and those kinds of things. Why not just keep your phone out of your pocket? I mean, that's a pretty simple one. And it can make a huge difference in the healthy development of that baby. Patty Wood, co-host of Green Street News, executive director of Grassroots Environmental Education, and co-creator of the BabySafe Project. You can learn much more about pregnancy and wireless radiation, watch videos, and order the free brochure by visiting the project website, babysafeproject.org. 
That's going to do it for our show today. Very special thanks to Dr. Deborah Davis for her friendship, her amazing career in epidemiology, and for helping us create the BabySafe Project. Thanks also to Dr. Hugh Taylor of Yale University and Dr. Leo Trisande of NYU, who both contributed to the project. Our news editor at Green Street News is Ellen Weiniger, our engineer Josh Lyman, our associate producer Toby Ziegler, our social media director Donna Moss, and our marketing director Sam Seaborn. I'm Doug Wood. Patty and I will be back next week with another edition of Green Street News. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.